Well, if you were in Bible class, you already know the details of the story we're about to talk about or talk about a portion of it. But uh, we need to get sort of everybody on the same page. So let me run through briefly uh, a sketch of this story. Happens one day when Jesus is walking along with his disciples, evidently in Jerusalem. We're really not told the exact place where they are. But they come across a man who is blind. And we'll find out later in the story he'd been born blind, or the disciples, they seem to realize that. And so they give a little discussion or have a little discussion about why is that? Why does God let some people be born blind? Well, Jesus says, we're not going to talk about that issue right now, but we're going to do something about it. And so in a way that's very graphic, he spits on the ground, he makes mud out of his spit and puts that on the man's eyes. Don't you love the way the gospels sometimes are just very earthy, aren't they? Yeah. And then he tells the man, he says, now you go to the pool of Siloam and wash that mud off and then you'll be able to see. And the man begins making his way through the streets of Jerusalem to the pool of Siloam. And that always causes me to stop and think, I wonder if that's a path he knew. You know, uh, here he is, he's blind. And can, does he know the way to the Pool of Siloam, evidently, or does he have to stop and ask? And how does he navigate it? Maybe someone went with him and led him by the hand, although that's not mentioned. And in fact, all through this story, did you notice that this man seems to be all alone? Well, he makes it to the pool. He washes off the mud, and he can see. For the first time in his life, he can see. And then he starts heading back toward home. And boy, wouldn't you like to have been with him on that journey? Uh, maybe it was a journey he had often made. Uh, he knew the, the, the route to get to home once he got into the familiar area of his neighborhood. But it's the first time he had ever seen those streets. It would be the first time he had actually ever seen his house. Be the first time he had ever seen his family. But he doesn't make it that far, does it? Because as he gets a little closer, he starts running into people who know him. And then this big discussion arises about, wow, what's going on here? Here was a man, isn't this the guy that used to sit and beg because he was blind? And some people say, yeah, it is. And now he's seeing. And other people said, I can't be him. That man's blind. This man can see. They just kind of look alike. It's not the same person. And he's saying, yes, it is. It's me. It's me. I'm the one. I was blind. And now I see. Well, they don't know what to do with this. So they begin talking about it, and they decide they'll take this man to the authorities, to the ones who were the teachers in the synagogue that, that claimed or seemed to represent themselves as, as being people that could answer all questions. They were the Pharisees. Now, uh, Pharisees are interesting people. The Pharisees were a group of about, Josephus tells us in this, about the time of Jesus, there were about 6,000 of them. Uh, they were people who had really committed themselves to knowing God's word, to protecting God's word, to protecting the Jewish way of life. And they had, in fact, even written down the laws that you need to keep Reading the Old Testament, they had a list of laws that if you kept all these laws, then you were a good Jewish person. 
And in fact, they had even boiled it down to primarily to three very public or physical laws that if you wanted to know you were good with God, that you were one of his people, you did these three things. One was if you were a man, you had to be circumcised. Another one was that you had to eat the right foods and eat with the right people, not eat the wrong foods and not eat with the wrong people. They're food laws. Now, that was very public about whether or not you were eating the right things and whether or not you were in places you shouldn't be or you were in the right places. The third thing was keeping the Sabbath, that you could only do certain things on the Sabbath and a lot of things you could not do. So therefore, if you were good with God, if you uh, were the right kind of person, you did these three things. Well, how many of those tests did Jesus pass? Well, just one. Yeah. However, he failed the other two. We know that he often ate with people he wasn't supposed to be eating with. Did that upset the Pharisees? Yeah. And then we know that oftentimes they got really upset with him because he did things on the Sabbath they said you couldn't do on the Sabbath. For like, for example, like healing a man who had been born blind. Now, can you believe that? But that is just their mindset, that that's exactly, that's the way they measured whether a person was a godly person or not a godly person, whether they did these three things. So therefore, since Jesus had healed on the Sabbath, he was obviously not a godly person. Since he ate with people he wasn't supposed to eat with, he was obviously not a godly person. Therefore, nothing he did was good. Now, As I was reading through that, I thought, you know, how could you move to that point where you thought nothing was good? And then I started thinking about myself. And there are some people that I don't care much for. (laughs) And it's hard for me to ever admit those people do anything good. Now, I know I'm the only person here that feels that way. Of course, if you think about politics... We're in the midst now where we got two men who are trying to convince us that they're the ones that need to be leading this country. And my guess is you like one of those men and you don't like the other one. And pretty much whatever that other one does you don't like, you don't like it, do you? So we can kind of tap into that same feeling of how you can get on this bandwagon and roll along. And these people just didn't like anything Jesus did, even if he made a blind man see then it was the wrong thing to do. So they go on, they talk to the man, and they say, what happened, and who did this? They start finding out the information. Some of them say, well, I don't think this man was ever really blind. So they call his parents in, and they say, is this your son, and was he born blind? And they say, that's our son, he was born blind. They say, well, how can he see now? And they say, well, we don't know. Ask him. He's a grown man. Because they didn't want to get in trouble with these important people either, did they? So his own parents kind of sell him out, don't they? They won't even stand up for him and say, wow, what a wonderful thing has happened. So they call the man in again. They talk to him and they say, you're going to have to admit that this man, Jesus, had nothing to do with this because he's a sinner. And the man kind of scratches his head and he says, well, I don't know if he's a sinner or not, but I do know he made me to see. And anyone who can make a blind man see must be from God. Sounds logical, doesn't it? But they are so set in their ways, they say no. And he ends up getting kicked out of the synagogue, kicked out of society. Now, 
isn't that wild? On this, which should have been the happiest day of his life, a day when he began to see, and he finds himself sitting outside on the curb all by himself. Only one person went to find him, and that's the part we read, wasn't it? Jesus goes and finds him, and there he has a gentle conversation with him. And as they're talking, some of the Pharisees walk by, and they start asking Jesus what he's talking about. And then in chapter 10, Jesus talks to the Pharisees about what went wrong in that meeting. What went wrong in their lives that they're able to not rejoice with a man who once was blind and now he sees, but they instead cast him out. Now, that's the part I want us to look at just briefly. There's two statements that Jesus makes in that conversation with the Pharisees that as I began reading this story this week and thinking about it, these two things kept coming back and speaking to my heart, and I hope they do to you as well. The first of these two statements begins in the first part of chapter 10, where Jesus seemingly changes the subject. But he doesn't. We know he's talking to the Pharisees, the ones who had kicked this man out of the synagogue, because we find out in verse 21 of chapter 10 that that conversation kind of comes to an end there. But as he's talking to them, he starts talking to them about something they all know about. Now, it's not something that we necessarily all know about, but they were aware that out in the countryside, there were a lot of shepherds. And each of these shepherds had a small flock of sheep. And they would take their sheep out and they would take them to pasture. They would feed them. They would water them. They would protect them during the day. But at night, all these shepherds would bring their sheep together in a sheepfold or a big pen that had been constructed. And they would just put all the sheep together into that sheepfold where they would be safe through the night. Well, when the sun came back up, each shepherd would go to the gate and start calling to his sheep. Some of them he even had named, and he would call the names of the sheep, or he would just start calling out. I don't know, have you ever heard a rancher call his cows? Uh, some, Some of them have some pretty funny calls, don't they? But the cows know that, and they'll come, and out here maybe these days our experience is a little more with that. I know with my father in law, when he had cows, they knew the sound of his pickup. And, and if he would drive into the pasture with his pickup, then here came the cows, didn't they? Because they were his cows, and that was their pickup, and there was their food in the back of the pickup. And they knew that that was what was supposed to happen. So he starts talking about that, and he says, you know, those shepherds come up, and they begin to call the names of the sheep. Each shepherd calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. His sheep follow him because they know his voice. Have you ever stopped to think that this blind man first began following Jesus because he heard his voice? Before he saw him, before anything had happened, Now, first he heard the disciples criticizing him, saying, well, this man must be a sinner, or his parents are sinners, or his grandparents were sinners. Somebody sinned to cause this problem in his life. And he heard Jesus say, no, this is to show the power of God. And then he felt Jesus' touch, 
as he spread the mud upon his eyes. And then he heard the voice of Jesus as he said, Now go, wash off this mud, and you will see. And he did it. Isn't that amazing? That he responded to the voice of Jesus. But that's what people who belong to Jesus do. That's what the sheep of the good shepherd do. When they hear him speak, they follow. Now, why did this man do that and the rest of the people didn't? Well, Jesus talks about that. Oftentimes in, his, in the Gospels, he says, you know, some people are going to listen to me and some people are not going to listen to me. Well, by my presence here, I hope I declare that I want to be one of those who listens to the voice of Jesus. Now, what separates the two groups? Why do some people listen and some people don't? Why do some people want to do what Jesus says to do and some people don't want to do what Jesus says to do? Well, that's been another great subject through the centuries that people have talked about. All kinds of answers have been suggested, such as that God predetermines who's going to listen and who's, going to, who's not going to listen. That God has already worked all this out, and, and those who are of the fold, of the sheep, of the flock, they're going to hear the voice of Jesus, and other people won't. But that's really not what Jesus said. If we back up to verse 41 of chapter 9, where Jesus is talking to the Pharisees, I think he gives us a clue as to why some people will listen and some people will not. Jesus said to them, if you were blind, you would not have any sin. But because you say, oh, we can see, then you remain in your sin. What that says to me is this. Only those of us who have come to a point in our lives where we realize that we can't make it happen, that we really can't do what needs to be done, that really our way is not working, and we really honestly don't know which way to turn next, we're blind. Only those of us who reach that point sometime are willing then to hear the voice of the shepherd who says, let's go this way. Come and follow me, and I will show you the path of life. I will show you how to live. I will show you what life is all about. Now, others who are doing pretty well on their own who think they can see and they've got their plans made and here they go. Someone comes along and says, if you will follow me, I'll show you what life is all about. We don't need you. We can see what we want. We can see where we want to go. We can see what we want to do. Then Jesus keeps on going. And they don't hear his words and will not follow. Paul says basically the same thing when he's talking in 2 Corinthians about the times he's really weak and when he really struggles. And he he basically says, if I can paraphrase him, you know, those times used to really bother me. I would get so down on myself because I thought, why can't I get this fixed? Why can't I change this? Why can't I do it the way I want to do it? And then he said, I realized that really it's those times that I'm the strongest because it's those times I'm willing to listen It's those times I'm willing to lean on him. 
It's those times when I follow him the most closely is when I realize I can't do it on my own. And then his words, whether they come through scripture or through the gentle touch in our hearts of his spirit, then we're receptive and then we want to go. The second statement that really stood out to me is in chapter 10, if you're reading along, verses 11 through 13, where Jesus says this, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. Now the hired hand, who is not the shepherd, who doesn't own the sheep, when he sees danger, when he sees a wolf coming, he leaves the sheep and he runs away. The wolf snatches them and scatters them. The hired hand runs away because a hired hand doesn't care about the sheep. I started thinking about this. Now, Jesus is telling this to some people who have walked away from the man born blind. And the question is this. Why didn't they care? Why didn't they care about this man? Well, the answer, I think, is found in that they were people who wanted to be godly people. But they had come up with their own way of measuring how their relationship with God was going. And we're good at doing that. We're good at, at measuring our relationships. Those of you who live with a family, you can kind of tell, can't you, when things are not real good at home? You know, you guys, when she gives you that look, you know, you think, ooh, something must have happened. I must have done something. Or just with good friends. Sometimes when a good friend doesn't respond to you the way that that good friend normally responds, and you think, what's going on here? We're pretty good about reading those relationships and wondering. Well, the question is, how do you know how your relationship with God is? How can you tell when things are good between you and God? Now, that's an important question to have an answer to. Because your very presence here today tells us that you are concerned to some extent about how you and God are getting along and how things are going in your life with him. Well, backing up again, the Pharisees had an answer to that question. It was a threefold answer. Do you remember? All right. If you're a man, you're circumcised. All good godly people eat the right kinds of food. And don't eat with the wrong people, eat with the right people. They keep the food laws. And all good godly people keep the Sabbath, right? And if you're doing those things, then you're good with God. Jesus has a little different way of assessing relationship. Jesus says, in the kingdom of heaven and in the flock of heaven, It's really about caring. It's really about do I care about those who are around me? If you want to measure how you and God are doing, the Bible tells us in so many places, in so many ways, you just look around and see how you're doing with the people around you. And that is a direct reflection of what's going on between you and God. You don't believe me? Well, let's listen to Paul make this same point. Paul had some friends in Corinth. They went to the church of Corinth, all right? He wrote a couple of letters to these guys. Already quoted the second letter about the weakness thing toward the end of that. But in the first letter, he writes to them because they're struggling with this same issue. 
Some of the people in the Corinthian church had decided if you were really godly, what you did is you spoke in tongues and you had these other special spiritual gifts. And that's how you measured whether or not things were good between you and God. Paul writes to them and says, that's not the measure. And he works his way toward the end of the book and he gets to chapter 13. And what do we call chapter 13? The love chapter. And he comes back to the same point that Jesus is making to these old Pharisees back there sitting on the curb with the man who used to be blind. He's saying, what really matters is, how are you growing in your love? And that is how you determine whether or not you and God are walking together, you're following him. And it's a good test to take. If you dare, take it today. Look around at your home. How are you growing in your love for those who live in the same house with you? who work in the same place you work, who sit in the same classroom you sit in, whatever it is that you do throughout your day, how do you feel about these people? And how are you treating them? Let's look at the way Paul describes how you can check yourself out here. He says if if you want to be growing in this measure of how you and God are doing, here's your checklist. You ready? Think about home. Love is patient. Love is kind. Love is not envious. Love doesn't brag, and love is never arrogant. And I scratched this one out. (laughs) Love is never rude. Boy, I'm going to have to scratch several of these out. Love does not insist on getting its own way. Love doesn't wake up irritable. Love doesn't hold grudges. Love doesn't rejoice when the other person makes a mistake. Love puts up with anything. Love believes all things. Love hopes all things, and love will always last. Love never comes to an end. These are the two things that stayed on my heart as I kept reading this story, and this is the reason I wanted to share these with you. I am truly moved by this story to listen even more closely to the voice of Jesus, recognizing that I really can't find the way myself, that whenever I go under my own steam and make my own decisions, they rarely seem to work out. And in those moments of panic, when I don't know what to do next, I want to hear his voice saying, come over here, come and follow me. And the second thing that really stays with me is I want to continue growing closer in my relationship with God. And the way I can check on that is to see how much I care and to recognize those times when I don't treat others with love and to begin to replace those times with a willful, with a determined attitude 
that I am going to care. We're going to stand and we're going to sing a song. And we have some of the leaders of our church available for those who want to respond to the voice of Jesus in their lives to come and follow me. Whether it's initially stepping out in that journey in the act of baptism or whether it's getting back on path after you've been following your own ideas for a while and now you want to hear his voice. Also, to pray with you if you don't pass the love test. If maybe we recognize that we haven't stayed close enough because we really haven't seen ourselves growing in our capacity to care, then we're available to help because he's available to help. Let's stand and sing.